Do you completely freak out when it comes to confrontation? And do you prefer to ignore issues with non-performing team members or pain-in-the-bum clients or ask someone else to deal with them rather than tackle them head-on? If yes, today's interview will be music to your ears. I'm chatting with Lisa Malloy about ways to handle those difficult conversations, and she has some real gold nuggets of advice to dish out. Her episode is just the beginning of this month's theme, Mindset. So stay tuned for some awesome other interviews and solo interview, solo episodes based on this topic this month. But for now, grab your pen and paper and get ready to be enlightened. Welcome to the Marketing Me podcast. If you're eager to grow your health and wellness business via effective marketing methods while maintaining your own health and wellness, this podcast is for you. The show features a beautiful blend of guest and solo episodes covering marketing and business growth topics, as well as ways to improve your physical, mental, and emotional self. I'm your host, Leanne Shelton, a health and wellness copywriter and content marketing trainer who's here to help perfect your message then find the right channels to send it out into the scary online world with the ultimate goal of making it heard and seen by your ideal client. So feel free to book in a free 15-minute chat with me after listening to today's episode. The details are in the show notes. And today, I'm joined by my guest, Lisa Malloy. Welcome, Lisa. Hello. Nice to be on the podcast with you today. Thank you. I'll read out your bios. Everyone can get to know you a little bit better. So Lisa is a registered master's qualified workplace psychologist, facilitator, and consultant with over 17 years of experience in leadership development. She delivers a range of programs aimed at helping leaders and their teams to become more skilled, self-aware, and human in the way they navigate important workplace conversations. With a focus on building trust, clarity, connection, and psychological safety. Well, that one sounds interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of her work also focuses on building self-awareness and better understanding your own impact on others and potential blind spots, which I want to delve into a little bit. Actually, let's just do it now. Can you just explain (laughs) why why, why? Um, what that means? Like you're focusing on, well, first of all, what psychological safety mean? Um, Mm -hmm. And then explain a little bit of that, what you mean, there's building self-awareness, understanding your own impact and the blind spots. Yeah. Well, to start with psychological safety, which is a pretty big topic, I must say, that underpins a lot of what we will likely talk about during this conversation. Um, So it's a concept that was discovered a little while ago, actually based partly through some research by one of the Harvard sort of leading researchers, but then made really popular by Google, actually, because they figured out what were the ingredients of high-performing teams. And what they figured out was this thing called psychological safety was one of the most important pieces. And basically what it means is that in an environment where there is psychological safety, people feel as though they can be themselves so just be their normal selves, bring like their whole kids. selves to work. Yeah, so kids, yes. you know, kids at school, they're completely quiet. At home, they scream and rant and we get the fun yeah. because <laughs> yeah, they feel that safety. I have heard that. 
Yes, yes, it's exactly why they play out more with their parents than they do with other people, right? <laughs> exactly. Thank you, kids. Love so, you. Yes. <laughs> so being themselves, um, feeling as though they can learn, for example, like when you join a new business or you take on a new role or you're just learning something new because that involves having to feel vulnerable, I suppose, um, taking risks, raising issues and challenges, that kind of thing. So when people feel that the environment is safe, we talk about that being a climate of psychological safety, if you like. So I guess you can liken it to physical safety, but it's psychological and you might say emotional safety as well. In contrast, if you think about, and I'm sure many of your listeners have worked somewhere like this in their lives, <laughs> where you don't feel that sense of safety, then you won't always feel comfortable speaking up. You know, you might have something to say, but you hold back because you're worried about what will happen if you do that. There's some kind of, you know, pushback or retribution or risk associated with doing that. And similarly, being yourself, there might be a risk of sort of showing your true self so you hide parts of yourself. Does that make sense? It's kind of a big construct, but we've all felt it, right, in our history somewhere, whether that be in work or other situations, actually. (laughs) Very true. Yes, actually, both personal, like sometimes with family, I'm like, oh, I feel like I can't speak about that mm. topic because I don't, I don't know whether I'm going to come across being stupid because I just, I, I'm not really across news. I purposely keep myself in a bubble because it's all that mm. negativity. Um, oh, and even politics. So whenever like my husband's family go into rants about that stuff, I'm like, sitting here, I think it's better to just stay quiet than <laughs> say something <laughs> yeah. completely, you know, out, yeah, left field and yeah. Yeah, well, and you think about that in a work context, you know, when you're a boss and you've got team members, you kind of want them to speak up, right? You want them to tell you what's on their mind or what's not working or if they think something's going wrong because that impacts your business. So, And so hopefully you can also see this is a nice segue into that piece around (laughs) self-awareness that, you know, if you are a leader or a manager, you've got people that you look after in some way. When you don't understand how you're impacting on them, you're not always aware of whether you're creating that safety or not creating that safety. And you might not be meaning not to create that, but it can very unintentionally kind of happen in how you react to things or how you respond, you know, the sorts of words and language you might use, that kind of thing. Yeah, because you're going to easily get caught up in your own head and your own issues Mm. and getting how it kind of then pushes onto them. And Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, and that's why I suppose I always mention the piece around self-awareness because a lot of the work that I do comes back to understanding yourself, like you say, knowing knowing what it is that makes you operate at your best, knowing what sort of environment you really need, knowing your own strengths, knowing your own limitations, you know, what, what frustrates you, <laughs> what might trigger you or make you react a certain way. That's part of self-awareness. But, of course, the other part is understanding how you show up to others. Sorry. And I'm a real geek, right, when it comes to psychology stuff. I like read books about it on the weekend. <laughs> Fun. Why not? And interesting. I know. Geek can't help it. I'm sure you do the same thing about some of the things <laughs> that you are. Marketing stuff, business growth. Yeah, yeah. Give it more. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and so there was this great book that came out a few years ago that I'd been waiting for around all this research that it was done around self-awareness. And one of the really interesting things is that people can have a really good understanding of what's driving themselves, so your internal stuff, if you like, or they can have an understanding of what they're impacting, how they're impacting, sorry, on others, so how others perceive them, but there's no connection between the two. So you could be really self-aware around what's going on in your inner world, if you like. So what, you know, you say being caught up in your own head, but have no idea how that's showing up <laughs> to others or vice versa. You can be so focused on looking good or looking after people or helping them and then have no idea why you're feeling so unhappy or frustrated or stressed or whatever it is. So as a geek psychologist, (laughs) 
that was really interesting because it was really compelling research on on that. Yeah. What's the book called? It's called um, Insight by someone called Tasha Urich. So it's quite it's quite a dense book, I must say, though, for people mm. who do want to read it. It's very interesting. But she talks a lot about what they call self-awareness unicorns, so the people who are doing it really well and how they do that, which was a whole combination of sort of techniques. But Is that like Oprah? Anyway. Like people like Oprah? Like because it's really... Oh. Probably, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, um, I don't think she gave famous examples. <laughs> She's like a university researcher. Yeah, <laughs> but um, someone like Oprah would be very self-aware, I imagine. <laughs> very self-aware. Because yeah. Brené Brown's did... another great example. So Brené Brown, you know, her work really, really speaks to all of this as well. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's this whole thing as well. When you end up, I mean, you become a very accomplished person, and people often put you on a pedestal. But somehow, like those two women in particular somehow can relate to people still like mm. a lot a lot behind that well and they're quite vulnerable aren't they when you think about the way they expose themselves if you like and that fits back into that psychological safety concept because when you put yourself at risk in some way that is you being vulnerable and that's where it becomes if it feels risky to do that you stop doing it you, know, you stop okay. being yourself or you stop saying what you think or telling your boss that you think something's not quite right or not quite working yeah. So, yeah, so they're pretty important concepts, which I suppose is why they end up, they sort of underpin a lot of all the work I do around having tricky conversations or giving feedback, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, tell me more. So have you always had like a psychological, uh, psychological yeah, background or wh- wh- where did you come from? Yeah. So, yes, I've always, so I've been a psychologist since I started working in the corporate world, I guess you could say. Um it takes a long time to become a registered psychologist and I took a little bit of time off in the middle. So the very short version of my story is that I actually was really fascinated with like, human behaviour when I was quite young and my mum could tell you this. I was always asking, like, why are people behaving like that? Why do they think like that? And I don't quite understand. I now I have a 10-year-old like who yeah. does that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, a people-person thing, right, that you just kind of are interested in those things. Um, So I studied psychology, undergrad psych, and then you have to do a master's to sort of specialise. But I took a bit of time off in between is the short story and worked while I saved to do my master's because they cost a lot of money and you couldn't pay later at the time that I was going through. Um, And that gave me a really interesting experience in working in organisations and businesses and kind of corporate world. And when I look back, I'm not surprised now that I ended up working on leadership (laughs) because I can see all the interesting experiences that I had probably led me to that. Um, But yeah, I went back and I guess merged the two worlds of doing workplace psychology or organisational psychology because I kind of found it fascinating how people behave and the impact that leaders can have on you, you know, that, and that's one of the things, isn't it, around that self-awareness piece that you are often caught up in your own world or you become a leader without realising it. You didn't really plan to, but your business grows and you find yourself there and you haven't necessarily had any clear training or support in how to be good in that space. Um, and what happens when you get in that position, of course, is that people just start watching you and noticing everything you do. <laughs> so you might be on a pedestal, like you say, or you might be just in the spotlight as well yeah which brings me back to the blind spot speak because you asked about yes the the idea of a blind spot is when others can see something that you can't see so you might show up in a certain way or have a a gap if you like or even a strength that you almost overuse and it becomes what you always rely on and it's just not working something's not working for you in some way that you have no idea but other people can really see it so that's what they refer to as blind spots in the leadership kind of literature (laughs) 
So Isn't it like uh, giving uh, you know surveys out to your team or something, or, or asking yeah. what are three. I've heard that you know what are three words you would use to describe me or something like that, and then to get that feedback. Yeah, well, quite often when people do things like surveys, they'll yeah they'll become aware of some of those blind spots if you like or things that they haven't heard before. So yeah, if you. It's one of the good reasons to do stuff like that as long as you are supported in the journey of what to do with that information <laughs> after yeah. you receive it as well. Yes, and it's also mm. asking what, apart from what do I do well or what can I improve on, which is often hard to hear, but, mm. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it could very well be a blind spot. You're like, oh, I don't realise I do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like actually it was brought to my attention recently that, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't like to show vulnerability. Like I, I don't like to cry in public and embarrass if I'm crying even among friends or whatever. And, um, you know, recently there was an episode I released recently about um, surrounding yourself with the right people. And I talked about my own childhood and friendship issues and that actually felt a bit later on. I'm like, oh, should I really have recorded that? Oh, like uh, put myself out there a bit because mm. um, I know all the time, you know, I'm this bubbly person, happy, you know, and then you're like, ah. Uh, it's okay to, you know, show a bit of emotion and I'm trying to get better at it. <laughs> well, and the thing is like you're a human, right? So you do have emotions and that again comes back to when you asked, have I always been a psychologist or yeah, it all comes back to that at the end of the day. Like people are people and people have thoughts and feelings and emotions and they bring them to work whether you like it or not. Just because you don't know about them doesn't mean they're not there. <laughs> so so I think there is a bit of a movement, if you like, like I've been doing this for, yeah, 17-ish years now, and there is definitely more of a focus on more human kind of workplaces, you know, letting people know it's okay to show who you are and be upset at times because that's life and, I don't know, it helps people connect, which is something we've all needed a lot of <laughs> in the last yeah, few years as well. Well, actually, that's a good segue um, about connecting with people. So I want to talk about the importance of ongoing feedback and we've kind mm-hmm. of, you know, apart from that little survey or whatever, not just a one-off thing, how, mm-hmm. like what's, how does it all work? How does it come to play? Yeah. Well, so I'm, this is, this is my space, right? So I spend a lot of time in what I call leadership conversations, which really is those ongoing everyday and more important conversations with your team about how they're tracking or what they need to be doing or your expectations of them or their growth and development, all those sorts of things. That's kind of where I play, (laughs) if you like. So I'm a pretty big believer, I suppose, in this partly, it's partly why I've ended up working in spaces actually, because I saw the same things coming up a lot. So back to kind of my journey, if you like. I've worked in this space for a long time, working with leaders and doing a lot of giving leaders feedback. So where they've been given some feedback by their teams and then sharing that back with them or taking them through some kind of process to help them understand themselves better. And I kept seeing the same themes coming up over and over again. And one of them would be around things like giving feedback. So um, so anyway, back, back to where it sort of fits in. Um, I've got a pretty strong belief, I suppose, from seeing that play out in many, many ways that it just has to be an ongoing regular thing. So like you said, not a once-off survey or something like that. But, you know, my my belief, I guess, is that if you can create that environment where you are having regular conversations with people about how they're tracking, let's just put it that way, um, that can include how what, where they're going well and what's working as well as what your expectations are or where things might not be quite right and, and you are able to create that safe environment where those conversations can be had regularly on time, <laughs> not months down the track and so on, um, it kind of prevents a lot of problems down the track. That's what I would say. So where does it fit in? Well, it's kind of an everyday thing. It shouldn't be a we do it once a year or we do it even once a quarter. It should be 
Actually, I was just listening to something from Brene Brown when I was out driving earlier today. And she said to someone that she worked with, I tried to give you feedback within 30 minutes. If something's happened within 30 minutes, I'm trying to have a conversation with you about it. And I was like, whoa, she really practices what she preaches. Um, so, yes. Does that answer the question around yes. where it fits in? Yeah. Yeah. And also it I think ongoing. it should be. And, and, you know, I've had experiences where we only had a, a weekly, well, look, it was called a weekly whip. And I jokingly say, you know, look, it was meant to be work in progress, but it was more like a whip because yeah. <laughs> there was more negativity than positivity. Because quite and quite often it was, yeah. The issue happened three days ago and then it was brought up like in that mm. meeting rather than at the time that we discussed it. It was like not, not, nothing was said at the time and something, oh, we'll bring it up now in front of all mm. your peers, which mm-hmm. I guess didn't create that uh, psychological uh, security yeah. there. Um, but yes, yeah. I think, look, so I'm just starting to grow a team. I'm a bit conscious of, oh, okay, how often do, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that positive feedback, oh, great work with this. I only had to make minor changes with this, or can you just do mm-hmm. this next time? And, but I guess there's still a part of me that's scared to, yeah, say too much more like, oh, like yeah. I don't want to upset anyone. Or <laughs> so, well, and it's really common. So that's the other thing I'd say is it's really common. And again, it comes back to the fact that you're a human, right? And you don't want to upset the person in front of you. So often it comes back to that. And I, in fact, I probably see two ends of the spectrum, if you like. You see people who are really caring and kind and worry about upsetting people. So they hold back for fear of upsetting somebody or hurting their feelings or, you know, just creating any kind of uncomfortable emotion. Let's say I don't like to call them negative emotions, but uncomfortable emotion. Or then you get people who are quite direct and straightforward and don't realise that they're having an impact where someone might become upset, like it's almost just too straight to the point and blunt and this is how it is and that's it. Um, And the, the thing is what I find is that quite often if you just learn how to tackle both ends of the spectrum, so how you can give feedback in a direct, clear way, but be kind about it, like stepping back and thinking about, well, why am I giving this feedback and what is it that I really want for the person in front of me? I want them to perform well. I want us to have a good relationship because usually you don't want the opposite, right? (laughs) You want all those positive things. So then how do I make that clear in sharing feedback that I'm sharing this feedback because I really want to see you succeed and I want to help you do your best or understand what your strengths are or have a dialogue about this or does that make sense? So it's sort of like, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. <laughs> and when often I work with people who are a bit scared to give feedback, giving them some frameworks and tools and skills and words and some support in learning just how to execute it, if they still communicate how much they care about the person and all that lovely intention that's behind it, then they've nailed it. Like it ends up being really, they can do it really well. And then similarly, you get the people who might be a bit more direct. It's just helping them to tap into those intentions and find a genuine way to sort of indicate why they're sharing feedback or what it is that they like about the person and recognise about the person. So, yeah, it's quite, like I said, it's quite a big topic in a way. There's lots of things if you think about like that influence us as adults from our past experiences and history, like how we've been given feedback or sometimes the way we were raised especially women because we're often told to be nice and don't rock the boat and if you don't have anything nice to say and all that sort of thing can come in, cultural influences, yeah, there's so much <laughs> that can impact, which is why I don't think this is this is one of those skill sets, if you like, that it's not the sort of thing that you learn how to do and you just do it once and then you've, you've learnt it. It's really, you know, coming back to adapting to different situations and people and 
yeah, building that self-awareness. <laughs> yeah, way. so I guess um, mm. like a the compliment sandwich thing kind of work? Is that kind of No, saying? well, my view is no, no. Mm-hmm. So, again, I've got some pretty clear views about this based on okay. what I've seen play out over many years but also the evidence, right, and the research and some of the best practice, if you like, around this stuff. So for those who aren't listening, the compliment sandwich, which has an alternate name <laughs> sometimes used, is where you say something positive, then you say the thing that's not working well, and then you finish up with something positive. And I can tell you there's a few reasons why. One is that people start to wait for the but. So if you have got someone who is doing something great, my view is that you call that out and you should also be doing that really regularly recognizing what it is that they're doing and why that's helping and how that's impacting you positively or what you appreciate about them and just stop there don't follow it by the but (laughs) because people honestly they wait for the but they just sit there anticipating so the minute you start to share a positive piece of feedback if you tend to use the sandwich approach they're already not feeling safe because they're waiting for the but they're not really taking on the positive at all they're just waiting (laughs) for the other shoe to drop Um, So that's one reason. And the other reason is because often all of it gets diluted when you do it like that. So if you have something genuinely positive that you want to acknowledge, that gets diluted by the negative thing. So again, stepping back into psychologist mode two, we're wired to focus on that negative stuff. Our brains just zero in on it. Oh, yeah, you forget the positive, right? You're just like, there was something good. Oh, no, no, I'm just focusing... I personally just recently with um my leadership stuff, I had the, the founder, um, the, the BX founder was there and he gave me, um, oh, just next time, um, it was a great meeting, but next time you have and all I could focus on the next two days was all these things I was mm-hmm. meant to do that I didn't do right. No, rather than, oh, you know, you did say great energy, great meeting, I had two new people sign up, blah, blah. But all I could focus on was these, he did it nicely, but it was just yeah. like I was really focused on what I'd done wrong rather than what I'd done yeah. right. Yeah, that's it. So you miss that positive part, which is genuine and, and real, something that you are doing well that you could continue doing <laughs> that's tapping yeah. into your strengths, no doubt. Yeah, and we're wired for that. And that's actually stepping back to the psychological safety bit too for what I didn't mention earlier is that we also have some really fascinating research around that now because we can now watch people's brains light up when things happen you know, with the technology that we've got today. And so here's a fun fact. If if you are in a situation where you become socially rejected, so if someone rejects you in a social sense, the parts of your brain that light up are the same parts that light up when you hurt yourself physically. So you could stub your toe or bang your knee and your brain has the same response as when somebody says, no, I don't, I don't want you to come or, you know, you think back to your high school experiences and primary school and why that hurts so much. It's, it's actually part of how we're wired. And from an evolutionary perspective, that's because they've figured out, I suppose, that being, being able to survive, being part of a tribe was important to be able to survive, which is why we now know that belonging and connection and being with people is so important. Again, something that's been really highlighted <laughs> by the last 18 months or two years while COVID's been raging. Um, So that's why partly why your brain picks that up because it's not feeling safe in a social sort of psychological sense and we're wired to feel like we need to belong, we need to be with other human beings. So it's fascinating, right? I'm totally geek out on this stuff, like I said. Yeah, yeah, because if you, you, um, yeah, rejected, then you could actually be, well, you're rejected and ejected, it means that you mm-hmm. potentially killed or whatever from growing yeah, up yeah. times. Yeah, exactly. So you get kicked out of the cave, you get eaten by the tiger or yeah. you get, um, you're not able to find food or shelter or all those things that we needed to have 
more so then. But that's, I mean, our brains haven't changed. That's the thing. Our environment has clearly changed, but our brains haven't changed. We haven't evolved oh, so in that way. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, and again, that is why, you know, when it comes to recognition or appreciation, if you like, versus more constructive or coaching-oriented feedback, you know, you need to give lots of positive feedback as well because it doesn't stick in the same way. So when people are doing things well and you call out when they're doing things well, then first of all, they actually know what to keep on doing instead of second-guessing themselves. But back to the um, feedback sandwich piece as well, they're more likely to listen to the feedback around improvement and they know that you also call out what they do well because they could be confident in those things instead of just sitting there second-guessing the whole time, which is what happens when people don't get any feedback at all. They just sit there second-guessing the whole time, worrying about it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, as, a, as a writer, um, yeah, you send something off, you don't hear anything, you're like, oh, they hate it, they hate it. And then uh-huh. you follow up and they're like, oh, it was great, we published it already. Like, <laughs> my head. Um, so I want to ask you, how do you then handle an emotionally charged conversation? And is it the same for team members, suppliers and clients, mm. or do you manage things a bit differently? Yeah, that's and that fits into the bucket of, what's often referred to as challenging conversations or difficult conversations, I suppose. And one thing I do like to point out when I do work around that space is that they're called challenging or difficult conversations for a reason. (laughs) And one of the reasons is because emotions do run high. So just being mindful of that, because if there wasn't emotions involved, it wouldn't feel so difficult to either person, would it? So for one person, usually it's there. Um, Oh, gosh. And there's lots of like frameworks and tools and things that you can kind of bring into play there so when you say how do you handle I think one of the things I would say straight off and I'll just try and throw out a few kind of practical tips and bits of food for thought if you like because it's a pretty big topic um, is actually just to spend some time preparing for it so if you know you're going into a situation where it's going to be more likely to have an emotionally charged kind of piece to it or someone might have a big reaction Spending a bit of time reflecting on things like, well, why am I having this conversation in the first place and what is it actually really about? And that sounds really simple, but it's a real game changer when it comes to then going into the situation where the emotions become high and both people struggle to kind of get the words out or handle it. So spending a bit of time thinking about that. And one of the skills that I often teach people is to is called a contrasting skill from one of the books on this subject. But it's a skill where you start to think about and then communicate what you do want and what you don't want or what you are saying and what you're not saying. So contrasting those two pieces. And so when it comes to prep, for example, if you even spend a bit of time thinking about, well, what is this conversation actually really about? And what do I really want from this conversation or from this bigger issue that's at play if there's a problem happening or from the relationship if it's actually a relationship issue that you're about to sort of tap into? What don't I want? You know, even just I I often get clients to just draw a line on a piece of paper and then write the do's and don'ts on either side. And even just that process alone, if you get clear on that, it often creates enough insight for you as the person going into the conversation to get really clear on, okay, and then you can articulate that more effectively. Does that make sense in the conversation itself? And so when it comes to executing this skill, and I've got to tell you, a lot of clients who I've taught this to has been, they call it a game changer when it comes to these situations. Um, is saying that to the person. So being really clear around, for example, if it is uh, a difficult conversation around some performance issues or something like that, 
to to say, look, I don't want you to think that this is about me blaming you for X, Y, Z, or this is about nitpicking. What I do want to do is, is figure out what's going on here. Or I don't want you to think that I'm upset with your overall performance. It's not as big as that because, again, their brains are going to conflate it and see it as this huge thing. I do want to just talk about this one specific thing that's not really working. Does that make sense? Actually using that in the conversation to address the misperceptions that people often have where they've their brain has hijacked them and they're in emotional state <laughs> and get really clear on what that is. Yeah, it's better um, than uh, rather than going to accusi- accusatory zone, it's going, I want to yeah. talk about this and just kind of get your perspective and it, it feels a lot more supportive and nurturing that way rather than yeah, um, yeah anything else where you just... Yeah, that's it. You're at fault. And I think... <laughs> Yeah, and that's why I think the preparation, even though it sounds really simple, can make a big difference because often we don't spend time thinking about this stuff. We just jump right in to it and just try and tackle it in the moment. So, you know, that's what I was, whenever I do run sessions about this, I'll always say, hey, it sounds pretty straightforward, but actually, like, just spend some time with these questions thinking, well, what is it really about? What is it not about? What do I want? What am I bringing to this conversation? Like, what assumptions am I bringing what biases am I bringing? What stories have I told myself about what's going on here? Because they are stories your brain has thought up or your mind has thought up for whatever reason. Um, and then thinking about the other person, like what else could be going on for them? What don't I know? How are they likely to take this news? And holding that lightly is what I would also say because you never really know how someone's going to react and you don't want to make assumptions about that either. But just thinking about, well, what else could be going on for them and how can I ask and be curious about those things how can I create an actual open dialogue? Um, so that's a pretty broad answer, I suppose, because it is such a big subject. And no, there are some, some gold nuggets in there for sure. That's, that's really oh, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to get a nice balance between dropping in a few practical things. But also, I mean, there are some great frameworks and tools, and that's what I would also say too. There's some great books, you know, around this. There's one called Crucial Conversations, which is a bit corny but has some good stuff in there. <laughs> there's another one that's... Um, by a lady called Susan Scott, Fierce Conversations. So I often teach one of her frameworks around opening up a conversation. And so she has a step-by-step kind of piece where you figure out what the core issue is and you give an example and you talk about what's at stake in the relationship or the situation to kind of put a bit of weight around it, help the other person understand that it's important that you talk about it. You identify what you might have contributed, you know, so hey, I know I have a role to play here as well and acknowledge that and that's a little bit of an olive branch but also just, you know, allowing the other person to know that I recognise it's not just a one-sided thing Um, and you sort of invite the person to respond and then, of course, the next part is then listening and engaging and acknowledging what's going on for them but that's a great example of a book that just has a step-by-step way to kind of think through how do I even open up this conversation (laughs) in the first place. Um. So, yeah, there's lots there's lots in there. And I think the other question a lot of people ask about is when you talk about an emotionally charged conversation is just being mindful that when emotions are involved, sometimes there is a point where you need to stop and pause or take a break for either person in the conversation. That's that's kind of okay. I think a lot of people feel like they have to push through it mm. or they, they often say, to me, what do I do if someone cries? What do I do if they get angry? <laughs> what do I do if they get upset? And, you know, there's no one right way, I guess, what I usually would suggest for people in that situation if the other party is upset is to actually ask them what they want. Like I can acknowledge it so I can see that you might be a bit taken aback or you look upset. Um, Can I just check in with you? Do you want to have a breather? Do you want to pause? Do you want to continue? Do you want to come back later? 
But if it is something that you have to bring up that has to be talked about, then setting a time for that rather than letting it go or else you never end up having the conversation (laughs) if you keep pausing it to later and it never actually happens. Yes, it actually reminds mm-hmm. me of um, uh, how, I'm, how I Met Your Mother. Have you ever watched that? <laughs> yes. um, that often put pause whenever they're having fights um, between um, what's it called uh, uh, Marshall and and mm-hmm. what's the name? Yeah, like oh, just pause. No, pause an argument. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if yeah. if you get an okay, an upsetting or angry email from a client. What's your, like, do you email back? Do you pick up the phone straight away? Do you schedule in a meeting to chat about later? What do you do for that or recommend? Yeah, I would always recommend having a conversation rather than emailing or slacking or messaging, you know, (laughs) all the ways we communicate these days. Just because I think a lot of tone gets lost in emails or in written communication which is another interesting point too because obviously a lot of people have had to move to on, online or remote conversations or video and you lose a lot of that stuff that you couldn't pick up in person as well. Um, so, yeah, look, I would usually suggest having less, I would schedule a conversation and but then do that prep and planning to think about, well, how could this, what could this be about? What is it really about from my end? What do I want to get clear on communicating? What do I want, don't I want, you know, if this is a client that I love working with, how do I communicate to them that I I really do enjoy working with them or I don't want you to think that I'm not prepared to help with X, Y, Z. But what I do want to talk with you is, you know, so doing all that prep and thinking as well beforehand. And the other thing I'd say is just when when you do speak to the person, if you do, or even in the email, acknowledging what you're seeing in terms of those feelings, that's one thing I think that people often forget to do because they're so scared of how to respond when someone's angry or upset or they have their own response. Just yes. actually, yeah, acknowledging. And I mean, you know, so my other sort of background piece, I suppose, is that I did lifeline counselling for some time. And it's quite a rigorous process of training that you go through to do lifeline counselling. And it's funny, I talk about this a lot now because I do so much work in space, how I never realised at the time that that was such a good grounding in terms of skills to then go on and be a psychologist and do all the work that I've done since because they teach you things that are really fundamental basic skills but most leaders well I don't think many leaders at all ever get taught or in fact just professionals or just people (laughs) people don't get taught these skills I only got taught them because I was doing counseling training Um, but just basic things like reflecting and paraphrasing so acknowledging you know hey I you know just reflecting back what someone has said or acknowledging the emotion that's in there you know I can see that you must be feeling really frustrated right now is that right or I can hear that you're feeling this way or that must be, you know, just, and the the advice I often give there is just being tentative, of course, because you don't want to assume that you know what's quite right. But even just that process and skill in itself, if you can just do that for, say, the first couple of minutes of a conversation, just really listen, listen for the content, listen for what's beyond the content in terms of how they might be feeling or what's really going on for the person because it's usually more than whatever's being talked about on the surface and share that back and it just makes people feel heard yeah and, and that's a game changer oh yeah and I wanted to bring up as well I've I think I mentioned this before on the uh the podcast but reviews as well if you get negative reviews the same mm-hmm. sort of thing because obviously like sometimes it's got you know it's Bob J K one two three or something of their name mm-hmm. and so you have no idea who it is you can't call them or but you can actually respond going Hey, uh, you know, sorry about your your you know negative experience with us. We'd love to have a, disc- a conversation about this. 
please call us or email us on this. We'd love to have a chat. And mm. uh, just by doing that, responding and having that review, look, even if they don't actually reach out, they just want to have a rant for whatever reason, everyone else will then see that you responded kindly and didn't just kind of go back like defensive or you didn't just yeah. ignore it. It, it actually it, it holds a lot more power to show that you were trying to amend things for everyone else. So yeah. I think that's important too. Well, and I think, again, people just, people when people are experiencing AUV emotion, whatever that is, they want to feel heard and acknowledged and seen. It all just comes back to that, you know. We all have that same experience in our personal lives as well. So it's just, I think this, and actually I'm running a program at the moment that's just about listening. That is it. Like how lucky is that? How amazing is that that I've had an organisation who's engaged me to run a program with a group of people where they just focus on listening. And we're doing this over like four or five month period of time where we just focus on beefing up their listening skills. And um, there's so much merit, isn't there, in learning just to really figure out what's going on for the person in front of you, for the relationship and how they then feel about you who took the time to listen and figure out what's going on for them. And like you said, acknowledge whatever it is so that you can grow as well but also the benefits that come back to you in understanding, well, what did happen here and how could I have done that better? You know, how can I learn for my next client or ask the right questions next time around to figure out where things might have gone off track or clarify those expectations or have that kind of upfront open dialogue, you know what I mean, before it becomes a difficult conversation yeah. or it gets to the point where someone's exploded and then written a nasty email or, <laughs> or yes. is crying or angry or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, this has been, yes, such a great conversation. I, I recommend if, if you've been listening to this while on a walk or something and couldn't take notes, yeah, go re-listen back and, and write some <laughs> down because I think there's some really great tips in there, what to say at those certain times when, um, and, you know, as well as was responding to, to emails and reviews, I know I personally, if I see those kind of things, I'm like, <gasps> start getting a little anxious and I'm like, oh, I have to reply instantly. No, you don't. You can go have a breather and then come yes. back. We even have a templated uh, response even to the email just thinking, you know, that for anything negative, not that you, you know, would have this very often, I should hope, but you've got something without any emotion attached to it that you can send back that just says, sorry, you feel that way. Let's line up another chat. Here's my booking link or whatever, or here's my mm. number. So, um, yeah, I just want to add that as well. Yeah, um, I think so. And I, I that's a, that's a really great suggestion you made there too, is stepping away. <laughs> so which comes back to that's the whole self-awareness bit again coming in because that's often, you know, we get triggered, right? We have a reaction or we get upset. And so learning to just step away and have a rule for yourself, like I'm going to take 10 minutes away or I'm going to speak to a friend first or I'm going to. And the other thing I'd say in that sort of situation and with anything around difficult conversations too is think about who you can speak to who will actually help you think through how to respond and not fuel anything <laughs> that you might not need fuel in that situation. We all know people like that. <laughs> yeah. Or they end up just, yeah, make you feel more angry. Yeah. 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 Or who will challenge you and help you think through well, what did I bring to this situation or how can I tackle this and be my best possible self, you know. That, yeah, that's and that goes back to that self-awareness piece, right, because we all get caught up in our own stuff and that's the other thing I often speak to people about being a psychologist. You can't control your thoughts and feelings. They're there. You can't stop them. They're there, like learning to notice them, however, 
and recognise how they might be impacting how you respond is is gold. That's that's yeah. a good sign of self-awareness. Yes, oh, 100%. Oh, I really love this chat. Thank you so much. Um, now, I do have some questions I always ask my guests. And mm. the first one is, what type of marketing works best for you and your business? Mm. Probably referrals, actually, word of mouth referrals. But I am not very good at marketing, <laughs> I must say. I'm, I've been experimenting with doing more video stuff, actually, just kind of to push myself outside my comfort zone a little bit. And I'm finding that is an interesting form of marketing in the sense that my view is, so you can tell me what you think of this, And my view is, you know, people hire me for me and I'm standing in front of their people, teaching their people things or working with them. So it's kind of like a taster of what you get, I suppose, when they get to see how you show up and how you are and yeah, so I'm doing a bit more video, I guess. Yeah, oh, no, I 100% agree because it shows that they can connect with you and they kind of like, especially if they're following you in multiple videos or trainings, like they like, oh, you feel like a friend kind of thing. And then <laughs> similar to the podcast, I guess. I know I've listened to a, few, um, a couple of podcasts and then I've ended up asking them to be my mentor or join the memberships or whatever because mm. I feel like I can really relate to you. So you don't just hide behind the keyboard because it's very two-dimensional when you come like, yeah, yeah and the videos it. you come to life you're the human that they'll be working with which yeah one yeah and I have started a newsletter as well actually people would talk about starting a newsletter and I started it for some silly reason halfway through the first year of COVID <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was a good idea um, but I quite like just sharing content because like, I read a lot and I always look for stuff that's got some practical bits or some bits to get you thinking about your leadership or how you can interact with others, whatever. I love sharing it. So that's the other thing I've started doing, a newsletter just to share. Here's some interesting stuff. So it's like think three things that to read, two things to listen to or watch, and one kind of resource of some kind because I create a lot of resources for my programs or I find something out there. So that's been an interesting, it's not marketing intentionally, it's more me just sharing my my strengths around love of learning and, you know, all this psychology stuff. Um but a lot of people say that they find it really insightful. It actually helps them to, yeah, to reflect. So that fuels me to keep doing that. And it's I'm not to subscribe myself. myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And how do you take care of your health and wellness? Mm, an ongoing challenge for a mum with two kids and a business. <laughs> um, look, I think probably just been make, making space, I suppose, and prioritising some things that are important for me as well. And it's interesting, isn't it, because when you think about health and wellness and what it is that makes you feel as though you're tapping into those things, part of it is work because I love work, and but finding time to read and learn those sorts of things really fuels me. Um, but, yeah, look, I'm probably in a position well enough that my kids are old enough to be able to do things on my own a little bit more, so exercise and eating well and that kind of thing. And I also surround myself with great people, so I have a really good little network of people that I can tap into or share something that's going on or ask for some support, that kind of thing. Yes, and that's very important too. Mm. Um, and how can people connect with you, Lisa? Uh, so they can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where I, that's my main social media platform <laughs> a lot of the time. And through my, I've got two websites actually. So one for my broader consulting business, Flourishing Minds Consulting and my lisamalloy.com. And they'll have to look up how to spell my name, Lisa, because it's a bit funny. <laughs> 
Yes, L-E-I-S-A, and I'll put it in the show notes, don't worry, as well as those books. I'll take you offline and make sure I've got the right titles down. And, yes, and any other resources, Lucy, you want to provide, I'll put in the show notes. Um, Yeah, well, actually, um, I'd love to share if people want it. I've got a little um, freebie resource around challenging conversations and that framework that I was talking about around how to open one up. So I can share that with your audience if they find that helpful. Amazing. Thank you. Because we all learn different ways, right? For those who want to have mm-hmm. it in front of them. So thank you so much. It's been a really great chat. Really interesting. Um, really appreciate taking the time. Excellent. Thank you too. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. You can find show notes for the episode at marketingandme.com.au. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave me a rating and review via iTunes and grab a screenshot of this episode and share it across your socials. If you're interested in connecting with me, feel free to reach out via LinkedIn. Just search for Leanne Shelton and let me know you're a fan of the show. You can also find me on Instagram under LeanneShelton247 or book in a free 15-minute chat because I'd absolutely love to chat about how I can help you grow a thriving health and wellness business. Until next time, I wish you good health and good wealth.